Welcome to Language During Mealtime. Certified speech-language pathologist and children's book author Becca Eisenberg brings you creative professionals from the language learning and children's education field. With these ideas, parents can help their children with special needs improve language and reading abilities. Hi, my name is Becca Eisenberg. Welcome to my podcast, Language During Mealtime, episode number 61. Today, I will be interviewing Lisa Salen Davis, who is an essayist, novelist, and journalist who has written for, for major publications such as the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Guardian, Time, Yahoo, and Salon, among many others. She lives with her family in New York. Davis continues to write for major publications such as the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Women's Day, Salon, Yahoo, Time Out, and more. And her articles often open the door to both debate and celebration. Most recently, in December 2018, another article she wrote for the New York Times, Like Tomboys and Hate Girly Girls, That's Sexist, went viral and sparked almost 400 comments. In 2017, her Guardian article, For Years I Thought She Was Stealing My Identity Until I Found Her, sparked a record-breaking 45,000 shares for the paper. So today we'll be talking about her new book titled Tomboy, The Surprising History and Future of Girls Who Dare to Be Different. Um, You could go to Lisa's website to learn more about Lisa and her other books and publications at lisasalandavis.com. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about your book because, you know, after reading it, I've, I've learned so much as a parent. And I think that it's something that, I don't know, I think after reading it gives a really different perspective. Um, and I just learned so much, so many different things I didn't know. So I guess my first question is just, you know, can you give an overview from idea to publication about your book, Tomboy? Yes. I was thinking about when, you know, when did it start? So I, I, in a way it started, um, maybe 2013 or 2014 when I first wrote an essay for parenting magazine, um, about my daughter who was, um, in preschool and starting to, um, act differently than, you know, most of the little girls. And now I understand that more after doing all this research about kids starting to sex segregate in preschool. But she was kind of, you know, girls were starting to get into the princess phase and she was not that into it or she would play princess, but only if she could be the royal dog. And I wrote about my conflicting feelings about that basically as a feminist and watching my child rejecting traditional femininity. And um, that actually went up on the day that Parenting Magazine closed and it wasn't edited and no one looked at it. Um, But then three years later, when my daughter was in first grade, she came home and told us that she was a tomboy and said someone had told her that and said it's a girl who has short hair and likes sports. And, you know, we'd been wondering for years why our child wasn't following this kind of traditional trajectory that all these other girls were doing. The other girls looked so similar. But the word tomboy had never crossed my mind. And when she said that, I thought, oh, that word was so common in my youth. 
there were so many short-haired girls uh, wearing sporty clothes. And um, they were the stars of all the TV shows and movies that I loved. They were the heroines. And what happened to them? And that was the first spark, but I I wasn't thinking of writing a book after that. Instead, I wrote an op-ed that was about the experience we were having of adults, adults who knew my child, not strangers who would just think she was a boy, but adults who knew her quite well, who really could not accept that she identified as a girl and were so kindly and lovingly trying to facilitate her by saying, do you want to change in the boys' locker room? Do you want a new pronoun? But but in this odd way, also saying you must not be a girl if you look like this or if you're friends with boys or if you like sports. And I wrote about that, wanting to really support trans kids, but also not wanting to base our ideas of what boys or girls are on gender stereotypes. And I wrote that for the New York Times and really unaware that I was stepping into an enormous um, battle between, um, you know, over trans kids and over what gender identity is and over language, what the word gender means, what the word girl means. Um, And so I tried to listen to some of the backlash against that and um, tried to learn what had upset some people. I think the great bulk of people felt good about the article, but some people were really upset. And when I looked into how upset people were and tried to understand their points of view, I think the combination of all those things really led me to realize that We had gone through an enormous cultural shift and there was a book's worth of material to wade through. Yeah, I mean, there really is so much. I mean, I see all the research that you did and I love how you pulled it together also with your with your personal life as well, because it's actually like I feel like some of the books I really gained so much knowledge from because you're not just looking at research. You're also looking at sort of emotions and personal experience behind it. Um, and one of the things that I found really interesting was the, was the history of the word tomboy, because I think, you know, growing up in the eighties, um, and, and nineties, I mean, tomboy was like we talked about before, it's just like one of those terms that use loosely, you know, you kind of, and, and I think everyone had a little bit of a different description of what they thought a tomboy was, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, you know, I think a a very used term. Um, and so one of the things I just want to, I was wondering if you could go through like a brief history of the word tomboy. Um, because I think it was really, that was one of the things I found so interesting in your book was, you know, how people viewed it, let's say during, I know maybe 50 years ago versus how people view it now. Yeah, it really is interesting. So much of of the battle, the the culture wars around gender right now are about language in a way that if you're a grammar nerd, it's kind of affirming and interesting, but but also often obscures um, the history behind words and, and the work that the words do to liberate one group, but possibly limit another. And tomboy is a perfect example of that because it was originally, when it was coined in, in the 1500s, it meant a super rowdy, boisterous boy. 
And pretty soon after that, it, they started applying it to, you know, overly sexual women or what was thought of as overly sexual women, even though they were just sexual women. It's kind of a word for slut. And then about 100 years after it's coined, it starts being applied to rowdy girls who act, quote unquote, like boys. And that definition sticks. And, you know, one of the reasons I think it has stuck in terms of defining a girl who acts like a boy is that there are so many girls who act, quote unquote, like boys, you know, that we needed a name for them instead of just saying all the way back in the 1600s, oh, this is actually a normal variation of girlhood. And it's just our ideas of how boys and girls that should act that, that are too narrow. Um, but it was an insult for those first couple of hundred years. And then in the 19th century, it starts becoming more of a badge of honor. And you start getting tomboy heroines in literature like Joe March. And it's still kind of a badge of honor through most of, most of the 20th century. And in the 50s, you have lots of tomboy characters. And then you have the tomboy heyday of my youth of the 70s and early 80s. When you have Joe Polnicek from Facts of Life and you have Christy McNichol exactly. and Jodie Foster. I love that part because I grew up with Facts of Life. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Go yeah. Ahead. And I say in the book, and so far it's still true, I've only met one woman who liked Blair, the ultra girly girl, better than Joe, which still astounds me um, because Joe could fix her own motorcycle. I mean, she she had she had skills and she was tough. But um Although, of course, she had a heart of gold underneath her tough working class exterior. But anyway, you know, tomboys were kind of the cool girls um, for years. And then um, by the time we get to the 21st century, you start having um, a series of articles, usually by moms, saying the word tomboy is offensive. Well, actually, I I should say that article first appeared in 1898, where the more more freedom girls had, and they've had, their freedom has, has, you know, increased and decreased in different eras with different zeitgeists. But every time girls have a kind of taste burst of freedom in childhood, People start saying we have to stop calling them tomboys because it implies that this behavior, that this way of being or looking actually is boyish when it's a normal part of girlhood. And that um, there have been another in 2016, I think there were four articles in major publications all saying stop calling my daughter a tomboy, just call her a girl. So um, but there's. You know, there's another wing of people who would say if your child is, you know, dressing this way, playing with these kinds of kids and th- that that the other word would be gender nonconforming. And and then you have the people saying, well, that's just doing the same thing that Tomboy did um, by saying it's not a normal part of girlhood that you need a new label. So that's part of the culture war playing out now of what word we should use. Right. So that kind of leads to my next question, because if like, what would you, is the word tomboy appropriate or would like, what other word would you use? Because let's just say your child, let's say is proud and they say that they're, they're happy to be a tomboy. Would you, as a parent, would you say that you shouldn't label that or 
Would you like use a different word? I mean, how would you go about that? Well, I'm of many minds about that as I am about (laughs) this topic in general, right? Because my whole job has been to try to see this from many different perspectives and somehow move forward, keeping competing ideas in my head the whole time, which is a wonderful exercise, but it makes it very hard to have um, simple answers for people. And what I would say is that, you, you know, If you believe that, let's say, the category of boy and girl is a biological category, and there are many people who don't believe that, who think that's a social category and anyone could claim it. But let's say, you know, we put these children in their sex categories and we say, you're you're a girl or you're female. And, you know, why we should give a kid a special name for not adhering to gender norms is a great question to ask. You know, why do you need, if you like a different haircut than most kids have, if you like a different sport than most kids in your sex category are playing, you know, if you like to wear clothes that aren't marketed to your sex category, why give you a name? But the the answer is a special name, right? Because then it says you're not really part of that category. But for some kids, that word or, or the words gender nonconforming or other labels are um, a way of kind of getting other kids and adults to stop questioning them, to say, I'm legitimate, I'm me. If you don't understand me, here's a word that will help. It soothes people to name things. We don't, as human beings, we have to categorize things all the time. We have to you know, engage in taxonomy as an exercise in psychic relief to get through the world. We, that's, how, that's how humans are. And so if a kid is not, like if we're looking at her and, sh- and we can't slot her neatly into the category as we understand it, it kind of hurts our brain. And if someone says, oh, I'm a tomboy or I'm gender nonconforming or whatever they want to say, then, then you've made a category that will soothe people's disrupted minds. Um, we can also broaden our understanding of what the category includes, which is you know, what my work is about. Your idea of that category may have been so narrowed by the kind of, by the gendering of, of the material world of, of childhood in the past 50 years without you even knowing it, that your idea of what girl stuff is and how girls behave and how they look is now so tiny that not that many girls can fit in it anymore. Right. Yeah. It's just, and, and just kind of going about, let's say in for a boy who is, let's just say, I guess maybe, I don't don't want to use the wrong word as far as like, you know, kind of, feminine or like, how would you, cause I know that like, like how would a parent describe that child? Like what, what would be appropriate name? I guess what I want, what I'm asking you is like for, I think appropriate names that are politically correct, that I think people won't feel offended by. Cause I think as a parent, I like to, I think, or other parents also, I'm not going to speak for other parents, but I know other people wonder like what words to use because they don't want to feel like they don't want to insult anybody. They want to describe things appropriately. Um, but I guess yeah. what you're saying is to not really have a label, 
Um, and to, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we, we've never had a, a positive male version of tomboy. There is, there is nothing. There's Nancy boy or sissy. They're only insults. And, and it's always been harder for boys who what like what's on the pink side of the pink blue divide than it has been for girls. And, um, and until quite recently, boys who liked quote unquote girl stuff were referred to gender clinics at much higher rates than girls. Although that has shifted quite dramatically in recent years. And it's the same, it's the same question. If you have a son and you had an idea of who that son was going to be, and he grew up and showed preferences really early for playing with girls, for wearing dresses, for liking pink, even though we know that, like, that pink and dresses are just, you know, that there's nothing biological about those actual items. We just, we just decided that they were feminine. You decide that that child needs um, a special term, you're communicating to that child that he's not a normal boy. On the other hand, um, I know people who just had a feminine son, took him to a gender clinic. Um, I actually think, so now I'm misgendering this person, not on purpose, but um, that person then um, at, at age nine came out as non-binary and and I apologize for using the wrong pronouns. I'm telling like a third hand story, but use they, them pronouns. And they felt relief, the, the child and the family felt relief. And all of the people who were kind of saying, why isn't this, this human doing what I thought they would do? Um, they all felt relief from, uh, from having a new identity, from having a new pronoun. And, um, that's what's so complicated about it, right? Is that I I might say, why can't you accept that femininity should be a normal part of boyhood and that boys should be allowed to develop their feminine side so they can become healthier human beings? And other people might say, this kid is going against what what 92% of other boys are doing and um, and is in distress and, and, and it's distressing us. And these new words are helping us. So right, that's why right. there's no, there is no clear answer other than I think to respect what each family wants to do, but also to work really hard to, to understand how we got to this cultural moment, which is what my book is all about and to try to widen the range of normal which is what I'm trying to do. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's just one of the other things that I learned a lot from your book is terminology and different perspectives. Because like, like you said, there's no like one clear answer. But I think the more knowledge we have, the more sensitive we could become and the more perspectives we could have, right? So I just feel like, you know, I don't know. That's what I learned from it. I just feel like I learned a lot of like terminology that I didn't know before. So, you know, I, I think that's, it broadens our knowledge, which I think is good. Yeah, I was surprised when I was, because a lot of the criticism I'd received was that I didn't understand the meanings of words. What I, I, I researched, you know, I researched 
the meaning of the word trans, for instance, and discovered that it means different things to different people, that the words boy and girl mean different things to different people. And so I didn't, it's not that I understood these things incorrectly, it's that I understood them as I was raised to understand them in the way that I think most people understand them. But now what I understand is that to other people, these, these competing meanings are just as true. And for me, the question is, again, like, how do I move forward? How do I move through this material and communicate these messages? Not by saying one group is wrong or right, but by saying, here are the different ways that people understand what these words mean. Here's why they're fighting. And to ask, you know, how do we keep going as a society, create more understanding, more respect, more room when we have these competing definitions. And, you know, my work became about, you know, on one level, making room for a child like mine. Don't be so obsessed with who my child is going to be. And like, you know, it was almost like, did I, do we have a live one here? You know, (laughs) who is this? And what about just you're exploring, you're finding yourself, and um, the adult's need for certainty, for drawing a direct line between some child's desire for a haircut and the whole trajectory of their lives felt like unnecessary pressure. And so I'm talking about living with ambiguity, living with contradiction, living with uncertainty. Ironically, you know, by the time the book came out, the entire world was living that way because <laughs> right. of the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, but I think that, so that kind of leads to my next question, which you've really talked about already about, you know, any tips for parents of, of kids that may feel confused about gender identity. And I think basically from what, you know, what you were saying, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but that we don't have to label kids that we could kind of just be, you know, let kids kind of explore and that's okay. Well, I think it depends what we mean by struggling. So, you know, if your child is in distress, in real distress, then you get professional help. If your child is wearing stuff that you don't think of as boy stuff or girl stuff, or being friends with people who you didn't expect your child to be friends with, but your kid is fine, then you should be psyched. And also the and and you don't need professional help. So if you're struggling, you know, then then you seek help. But if the struggle is on the parental end, struggling to understand their child not matching up to gender norms, what I say to those parents is research shows. The kid gender the word the way that I use gender nonconforming, which is kids who who resist gender norms, which is you know currently the state of one of my children. I don't I have no idea how my child will identify later, either one of them. But um, if you have a child who resists gender norms, that child is likely to be uh, have more academic achievement is likely to be more confident if they're facilitated and not um, bullied or, you know, suppressed. That child is likely to be more creative. 
There is so much positivity associated with not hewing to gender norms that if your child is is not living according to them, you've lucked out because you don't have to spend all your time trying to work back the societal pressures of gender. Right. I think that's I think that's so important. I love how you just worded that. Because I think when you talked about struggling, I think sometimes it's the parent who's struggling and not the child, you know? So I think that's just one of those things to think about that is a parent to think about, right? Yeah. They have to think about kind of like what they, is it their struggle? Is what they think it should be in a certain category? Or is it the actual child struggling? And And also is is the child struggling because you know, people are, are making fun of them or not understanding them, or is there, you know, is there some serious wrestling with who they are that's internal and not about the external world? That's different, you know? And, and my focus, you know, there's, there's a little bit about gender identity in the book. Um, but most of it is about gender as as I understand that word, which is about societal expectations, norms, and stereotypes. And I think more kids are distressed by gender because of the hypergendering of childhood, because so much is labeled girl and boy, pink and blue, that normal exploration and normal healthy development is now marked as abnormal. Because if you like something that's marked as girl and you're a boy, even though it's randomly marked as girl, you know, then people think it's a problem. And so I think that what I'm talking about, which is reducing the gendering of kids' material and psychic worlds, you know, just not just letting boys like have access to all the pink stuff and letting girls, you know, do as much boy, quote unquote, boy stuff as they want, that actually if we reduce that kind of gendering of their external worlds and, and of personality traits, I think it will, it will soothe many, many children. And, and so, you know, I think what's in this book is definitely helpful for trans kids, but, but the, the way that I'm talking about gender is really, it really affects all children and how we raise them and how we decide what's normal for them. Exactly. I just, I love that. I really do. I think that it's, you know, as parents, we need to accept our children for, you know, who they are and why put them into a specific category. And I think just as a parent, I think, you know, reading your book, really learning about, because sometimes we don't even realize it, how, you know, let's just say certain toys or clothes fall under a certain gender. You know, it's like, you don't even think about it. Cause I think it just sort of happens unconsciously or how you were raised. Or if you walk into a store, things are in, on a certain shelf and other things are on a certain shelf. Um, so I just think it's really interesting. And I think it really, um, I would recommend this book to all parents to read because I think it gives you a really great perspective and a really great understanding. So you know, I just want to thank you so much for um, being on the podcast today and talking about this because I've learned a lot. I'm um, so glad to hear that. It really, I mean, that's why I wrote it. <laughs> so thank you.
Well, thank you. So is there anything else that you want to, um, that you want to talk about before we finish up? I mean, I think just, just reiterating that, you know, the book is called Tomboy and it, and it's about girls who dare to be different. But as I say in the book, I, I became aware that what I was talking about was applicable to all children and that um, we often think that about the deficits um, of girlhood, um, but, it, but it's really, really sad how we've narrowed the definition of normal for boys. And so there's plenty in here for parents of boys as well as parents of intersex kids and, and parents of kids who identify any number of boys. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Thank you. I look forward to seeing more of your work. Thank you so much, Becca. So thank you for listening today. Listen and learn with us at Language Sharing Mealtime. Time.